Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. And I hope you enjoy this new show, whether you're viewing it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the episode. I do want to thank you for being part of my audience. You can also find links to videos or podcasts on MiamiGhostChronicles.com as well as where you can submit your story about any eerie experiences you've had which I would love to hear about. Just go to the Submit Your Story tab. Please subscribe to our channel so that you receive notification of when we release a new show. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is where I usually live stream and where I give you a behind-the-scenes look at locations where new episodes are being filmed at. I also tell you about all the interesting guests that will be appearing soon on Stories of the Supernatural. I hope you enjoy the show, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, it's Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Well, tonight, it's tonight for me, but wherever you're at, have a hope you're having a good day. And I know I am. Part of it is because of the guest that I have here with me today. And she is a lady by the name of Alex Matsuo. Now, Alex is an actor, a singer, a dramaturg, a director, photographer, playwright, and my favorite paranormal investigator slash researcher. Uh, She earned her Master of Arts in Theater Arts from San Diego State University. And in January of 2014, uh, She published her first book, The Haunted Actor. And uh, in May of 2015, she also published More Than Ghost, a guide to working residential cases in the paranormal field, uh, which serves as a guidebook for paranormal teams who work residential cases, which you know, you've heard me a million times on my other shows, how important that is. And she's also published The Haunting of the 10th Avenue Theater. So let me bring her on. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing great. How are you? Absolutely wonderful. Um, Alex, yeah, I know you've written, uh, besides the paranormal, you have other works, but I'm going to ask you what I ask all my guests, which is, when was, if ever, your first encounter with the paranormal? Was it as a child, as an adult, or what what, uh, made you interested in this field? It was definitely as a child. Um, I was about eh, between around seven-ish years old. Um, I used to spend a good deal of my summers in Kentucky, like one to two weeks, um, to visit my grandmother's family. And my great-grandmother lived in this pretty old home where uh, the foundation was dated back to like 1800s-esque. And um, the the structure was a little newer, but... Mm -hmm. There was always something creepy with the land. Um, I was always a little uncomfortable there, especially at night. Um, and I had an, I had a few encounters there as a child that really uh, shook me up and made me realize, like, there's something out there that I don't understand, but I also right. wanted to know more about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so my mother wasn't a big fan of me trying to learn more about it, though, so that got stifled for a bit. So... Did you ever, did your grandmother ever confess that she had had experiences or were you kind of told like, it's just your imagination kind of thing, which, which is what they do to a lot of kids, unfortunately? Not even that. It was just a, oh, that happened. Okay, moving on. Like it was just something you didn't talk <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> so it wasn't yeah. even validation of, oh, this is all in your head. It was, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. So yeah, what on. else is the right? <laughs> But um, I know my mother had experiences there. Um, she had quite a few as well. She didn't share those with me until I was a lot older. It would have oh. been nice if I knew when I was older, just, you know, so I didn't feel like I was crazy. But, uh, yeah, um, right now that house is actually sitting empty. It's on, you know, land that my family owns. But mm-hmm. I would, <laughs> if I ever had the chance, I would love to go back there just to see, see if I could try to better understand what was there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I know what you mean as far as I've heard of that story before that everybody fesses up when everybody's an adult and the, the parents say, well, you know what? I was afraid I would scare you if I mm-hmm. actually confirmed it. 
And let's face it, sometimes adults are scared, but they don't want to show that in front of their kids because then they'll think, oh, my God. So and what do you think? Yeah, it's exactly. also the land or just besides the house is the actual land surrounding it? That... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this uh, so this house is, lo is located, it's still standing, um, in a little river town called Catholicsburg, Kentucky. It's a little town in the tri-state area. So if you go across the bridge on the right, you're mm -hmm. going to um, – Ohio, go across the bridge on the left, you're going to West Virginia. So uh, very much um, Little River Town, you got the Ohio River, and also it's, it's, it's literally a train stop. So you got the railroad there too. So that area alone has a lot, has a lot of energy flowing yes. in from the railroad and the river. Yes. And um, there's also a lot of um, Native American history there too. Mm -hmm. um, so the town has grown quite a bit in the last, like, 10, 15 years, uh, Marathon Oil is there. They have the refinery there. Mm -hmm. um, so most of the people who live there work for the refinery or work for the company. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot there, a lot of um, old-time religion there, too. Uh, my family's free will Baptist, so um, the family in Kentucky, uh, they're free will Baptist, and they're very, very intense and passionate about their faith. And uh, there's also... Literally like a whole block where it's like churches side by side, almost stacked on top of each other. So yeah. it's a very spiritual community as well. Right. And I understand what you mean as far as um, that there's sometimes layers as far as, like you said, with the land, starting with the mm -hmm. natives that live there. And then absolutely where there's a railroad. Yeah, I found that 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 sometimes ends up being a hot spot for paranormal events. So what happened? You went off and I see that you got into the acting field and theater and all of that. Yeah. But then I see that you wrote also some books about not only the guidebook for paranormal investigations, but uh, also as far as um, haunted theaters. Yes. Yes. Uh, so uh, I was kind of had my hand in everything when I was growing up, just trying to find my little niche um, in theater finally filled that void. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I started doing theater when I was a kid, about 11 years old, and I've been doing it ever since. Um, so what I really, what I really love about it is just being able to express myself, find my self-acceptance and whatnot. Um, and obviously I loved it enough to keep going with it and get my, a master's, a master's degree, master of arts, it's not terminal, hopefully one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wouldn't mind becoming Dr. Matsuo, you know, in the next 10 years. Um, <laughs> hey. uh, so become the ghost doctor, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, yeah, so I got my master's degree. Um, I was really focused on school at the time, but the paranormal was always kind of there. In fact, um, my colleagues from grad school even say, like, if I could find a way to integrate a, a ghost or a witch or a demon yes. or a vampire, just anything kind of paranormal to integrate into my, like, studies and stuff, I did, I did it. Like, I did a whole study on the Salem Witch Trials. I did a whole study on how ghosts are used as plot devices in mm -hmm. Shakespeare. So... I dedicated quite a bit of time um, to that, and, and, that's, and that's actually the Haunted Actor is a lot of those, like a lot of the studies I did, um, linking the paranormal and theater together. Because who doesn't know about a haunted theater? I, mean, I was about to say, theaters are, God, they are renowned for being haunted because, let's face it, a lot of drama takes place behind the curtains as well as in front of it. Well, also, if you think about the amount of energy that a person yes. puts into their performance, uh, I have a few theories as to why theaters are so haunted, um, but especially when you think about characters that are based on real people. Mm -hmm. uh, Leo Frank is a great example um, in the musical Parade. That's a big one. I know quite a few actors who have played that role okay. <laughs> and have a, a few have even like said that they felt possessed, so to speak, but wanting to explore that a little bit. Okay. Um, but also you have Hamlet, for example. Um, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis was very much a, a, we know he's a method actor. That's mm -hmm. that's very well known. And what I found interesting, I found this a few times, and his name popped up in this, but um, there have been several actors who have played Hamlet, and, you know, that iconic scene with the ghost of Hamlet's father. Right. Actors who have played that role and have lost the father previously have reported seeing the face of their own father instead of the actor. Really? So, yeah. Wow. 
Rumor has it that's why Daniel Day-Lewis does not do theater anymore, because that happened when he was doing his run at the West End. So, it's interesting. It's wow, interesting. like in other words, he didn't want to risk having that experience again. Yeah, wow. exactly. Exactly. Yes. I can see where some people will be like, ah, that was just a little bit too real for me. <laughs> and for Daniel Day-Lewis to say that, that's a bit... That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you always, you know, like you said, I mean, you're acting, but at the same time, I imagine that you're, you know, as an actor, you, you're thinking about what it is that your lines are and everything. And the last thing you're mm-hmm. expecting to see is, especially you're, on a scene like that, that you're going to see. You're going to one. Exactly. On the stage with you. It's like, oh, hello. Um, yeah. And also, if you think about it, theaters are full of electrical energy as well, because you have the lights, you have mm-hmm. sound. Um, also a lot of theaters will, you know, because we're all on a budget here, uh, will reuse props, costumes, and I mean, when when does, you know, the costumer put like spiritually cleanse the costumes before, you know, (laughs) with the dry cleaning? (laughs) By the way, have you ever heard of something like that where a certain piece, uh, uh, either in the background, you know, in the set or an mm -hmm. actual costume? has some type of attachment or effect on the people that are using it? Um, I've heard some rumors uh, throughout my time, especially in San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, of, not, I don't want to say haunted props because it sounds so, like, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but, uh, but like, weird things have happened when the certain prop is being used. Okay. Um, so, which, uh, one of those, one such props, I don't want to name the theater because I don't want to call them out on a <laughs> and, you know, cause curiosity. But um, they actually saw dancing shadows on the stage during a performance, and tech people were literally, like, in the wings, like, watching this, and the audience thought it was part of the show. Really? <laughs> but, it, but the stage manager was in the booth, and, you know, you could hear everyone on the headset was like, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? And one of the shadows even was, like, mimicking the lead actor <gasps> next to his shadow. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> Which I thought was actually really cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was not it's at like, that well, because but I heard, I heard all about it. You know, well, when you see something like that that it's mimicking, it's like, okay, this is not a residual. This is not like a reenactment of maybe something that happened. It's like a loop. This, if, if it's mimicking, it actually shows some type of like an intelligent haunting kind of thing going on yeah. there. Oh, it's very conscious and very aware. And so those so moments like those, I'm like, that's so cool. And of course, the audience when they saw it. You know, they thought this was just a really cool trick. And then, you know, when I saw the show, I was like, where's the shadows that I heard about? Yeah. <laughs> and that, that came up with patrons. And actually, I think that moment did make the local paper. So I'll have to, I'll have to pull that up. And it's, it's actually really, it's really fun to read. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, theaters are just wonderful places in general. So, I mean, let me ask I you something. Know. Is there any truth uh, that, uh, that actors are superstitious? You know, <laughs> I'm going to say yes to that, and not in the sense of if you say the name of the Scottish play inside a theater, you need to go out and mm-hmm. spin seven times and spit. <laughs> uh, but in the sense of, because I'm still a working actor, um, I have my ritual, so to speak. There's certain things that I need to do that I know will cultivate into a good performance. Like, I have a process. Okay. Uh, I believe in the Scottish play curse. Um, I guess I'm not in a theater. I can say it. Uh no, wait, I have a huge project tomorrow. I can't say it. I want to myself. <laughs> okay, all right, don't worry. <laughs> we, know the name of the, we know the name of the Scottish play. Yes, don't uh, worry. And I've, and, I've, and I've done that show a few times, and it's so funny because every time things happen. And, I, you know, when you're in a show with a, with a big cast, you know, something's going to happen. Like someone's going to get hurt eventually or someone's going to get sick. Mm-hmm. But it was crazy. Like our swords were like breaking like the blades would actually i mean and these are fake blades so we're not talking like flying sharp objects right here. but you know the blades were coming out of the handles um car accidents wow the whole like it, it was just really crazy but the theory behind that curse is is because of you know the play opens with when shall we meet again and you know that whole speech by the witches and mm-hmm. that shakespeare used actual incantations when he wrote the text oh. so yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, again, it's a theory, um, mm-hmm. but with the, we also have to think about what with where witches stood at the time of Shakespeare, because James the First was very much on a anti witchcraft. I mean, he wrote demonology, demonology, um, 
So, yeah, we also have to consider the cultural context, but it's certainly fascinating to think about that that's the reason why the curse exists in the first place. Yeah, uh-huh. I guess nobody really wants to test a theory like... <laughs> I've actually wanted to, I've been wanting to test the theory. I just need to find an appropriate project that I'm willing to sacrifice. I was going to say, yeah, it's got to be on something that you're like, okay, if this goes south, it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So have you ever been in a certain theater? Because, I mean, I've heard of even like certain uh, rooms in the back where, let's say, an actor gets ready that there's certain either projector rooms or certain places on the wings. Have you ever been in a theater like that that you found yourself like, if not, if you don't actually see something, a certain feeling? Oh, yes. Uh, so there's the Spreckles Theater in downtown San Diego. Mm -hmm. I was actually a kid doing shows at the time, but there was apparently a ballerina that had fallen from the dressing rooms. They were second story dressing rooms. Um, she had been stretching on the railing and either she got pushed or something had happened that she had fallen off and she had fallen off the second floor and she ended up passing. And there's a spot if you're at the balcony where, where she passed, um, you feel like cold spa, you feel really uncomfortable. Really? You also feel like sadness, like a missed opportunity, which that would have been, <laughs> that would have been the case with this, with this person. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Because... Our common... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> and no, no, no. And I was going to ask you, how about... Because I've also heard of certain theaters that have phantom audience or or certain audience yes. member that they keep showing up like while people are rehearsing. Have you ever heard about stuff like yes. that? Yes. There are actually a few theaters in New York that have that. Um, one of them is... I'll have to look through my little notes really quick, but... uh. Uh, there's the theater in New York where the owner still, uh, the owner still uh, haunts it, and it's really funny. He's actually very frisky with the ladies. Um, really? He gets a little like, he gets a little, uh, little too handy sometimes. But he'll be seen. He actually lives in the theater. That's how much he, uh, that much he that's how much he loves his space. So he, mm -hmm. so he lives in the theater. He was often, he's often seen, especially during opening night. Okay. Uh, you'll he'll be he'll be seen going backstage to the audience, you know, or to the actors congratulating them on a good performance. And I just found I find that very uh, it's the Belasco Theater. Okay. Uh, the Belasco Theater, where um, David Belasco, he was known as the Bishop of Broadway. Uh, mm -hmm. He spent all of his time in this space, and he converted the attic into a penthouse. And apparently he even removed some of the floorboards so that he could watch rehearsals. Mm -hmm. um, and he's one of the most active spirits in the theater. And apparently he's been uh, seen as a dark figure watching the actors on stage, um, congratulating the actors on a good performance, and also pinching the bottoms of women. So <laughs> that's where, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, but you know what? That kind of haunting, It's maybe it's scary at certain points, but it doesn't seem like a malevolent type of you know, right. haunting. And it's almost like you said, somebody that really liked what what he was doing and where he was at. And yeah. it's like, so I'm dead. And I I'm going to keep doing this no matter what. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, and the reason why I had asked you that thing about the drama behind the curtains and the reason I think about this myself is I'm thinking uh, actors, um, usually they have, yeah, it's, it's, you know, not only because people sometimes only see the presentation of what's going on, but they're living their own lives as well mm -hmm. during these productions. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm thinking to myself, these are all the emotions that, you know, that these tragedies, whether it's competition, uh, mm -hmm. love triangles, um, trying to get a part, you know, or oh, curry yeah. somebody's favor, uh, all those things that, that uh, produce high human emotion. And, um, right. and I imagine also just the, like you said, the sheer energy and effort it takes to put a, a show together to, even if you're just an actor, I mean, it's, I imagine it's like a whole team thing, even with the people oh, that are behind yeah. the scenes. Yes. Especially if you're opening a show, I mean, you, you're going through multiple workshops. Um, mm -hmm. like for example, the show come from away was workshopped in San Diego, I believe also in Seattle, and I believe Washington, D.C. So they go through multiple runs, and even with multiple 
cast members, you know, to find that perfect uh, that perfect product before it moves to New York. And even when it's in New York, it's still in previews for several months uh, okay. before it finally opens, so to speak. So there's it's a lot of work. There's a lot of changes that happen, a lot of changes in music, um, lyrics, lines, character names, character choices. So what you see the finished product on Broadway, it's most likely, I would say 99% of the time, nothing like how it was when the first day of rehearsals happened for the the concept. And you know what? Um, The the reason why I say this also is as far as entertainment, this is about the most real entertainment you can get because nowadays, you know, if it's a movie or a program, it can, you know, be edited and fixed. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, with CG, with computer graphics, forget it. You know, there's no stopping. So theater is as real as it's going to get as yeah. far as oh, yeah. entertainment um, and talent, I guess is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to get to. Um, I completely agree. I mean, because in movies, you can even do like multiple takes. You can stop and try it again. Mm-hmm. In theater, you have the rehearsal process for a reason, but still... Things can happen on stage. I mean, especially when you're doing something. A lot of actors are on contract for a year. Unless we're dealing with a celebrity, then they might have a shorter contract. But uh, because, you know, they're there to sell the tickets. But, uh, yeah, a lot of actors are doing this for well over a year. And things can happen. I mean, snafus can happen. Lines can be forgotten. Um, Yeah, because I find that that could happen even with shows that run for three weeks. (laughs) So from personal experience. Right, right, exactly. Like as in, you know, if you're watching it, it's real time. It's really there. It's, and I imagine that even as much as it's rehearsed, every, I guess every time it's done, it's it's always not going to be exactly the same. There's always got to be a little mm-hmm. bit of difference because it's just the human condition. Condition you can't reproduce something exactly time after time. So, um. Yep. I think that that's fascinating. And again, I think it lends, the emotion that's there lends itself to uh, whether it's a residual mm-hmm. um, feeling for theater, especially if it's been around for a while, to an active yeah. haunting, depending on what went on there. And let me ask you, how did, um, based on that book, did you ever join a group as far as uh, paranormal investigations? Or did you start uh, one? You know, I started one. So I... I had looked for a team, but I didn't quite find one that was either recruiting or kind of had the similar concepts that I that I had or um, mm-hmm. ideas. And so I decided, you know, let's just try this. Let me just try make, creating this team and see what happens. Okay. And I was really I was really interested in, in the field of residential cases mm-hmm. because I mean I didn't have that when I was a kid, um, and I think I think I would have greatly appreciated it. Um, yes. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, and I did have situations that happened to me in my later teens that it would have been nice if there was a team there to at least have the moral support. Because that a lot of times that's what happens when with residential cases mm-hmm. that do become verified, or at least there is something odd going on, and you know, you're there as a source of support for the client. Um, so yeah, and it didn't take long for us to form. Uh, maybe a few months, and then we had our first case and. I guess you could say it's all been history from there. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, you're not the first person I've spoken to that have said, yeah, I was ready to join a team, but I really didn't find any that really fit the bill. So I ended up starting one. Yeah. Um, and, and it's one of the things, it's like, if you want to do that, more power to you because you want to, if this is something you want to do seriously and something you want to stay in, you know, sometimes you do need to start something on your own and pick the people that ebb and flow with who you are and your personality. Because, man, trust is a huge thing in the field. And if you don't trust the person that you're with when you're dealing with a really tough case, I mean, yes. why, why are you Why are you there? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's very, very important. And, um, you know, I myself, I've been doing investigations since the 1990s. And I tell everybody... Um, whether you're wanting to join a team or you're thinking of that you need a team to come in. I said, you know, you need to see, you know, are they professional? Do they know what they're doing? Have they been together? Does the team gel? Because basically, you know, I've known a lot of teams that get together and within the one or two years, they kind of fall away because either it's not what they expected 
or they don't realize sometimes you end up having to do investigation on weekends or it might turn out to be boring because there's nothing really there or it, yeah it could be it's not what they expected in other words they're thinking of the reality tv version of yeah. investigations <laughs> only to find out that a version of 12 hours <laughs> yeah exactly so it doesn't quite you know come up to the what they had in their head so they they step away from it uh and um as far as uh because and, and the reason uh, uh because are are you still based out of San Diego or or are you living somewhere else now? Uh we relocated well I relocated to Raleigh in 2013 and so I kind of took I kind of took the team with me. Um there are still some members in San Diego who mm. do a little bit here and there but they're not really an active group anymore. Um it's more of like the Avengers. They'll if someone calls and they're needed they'll go. Okay. Okay, no, <laughs> um, I would... we're, Yeah, we're very active in Raleigh. <laughs> Right, no, because I was going to ask. I mean, my um, I had a uh, chance to visit San Diego quite a few times since my son was in the navy and he was stationed out there on Coronado Island. Oh, nice! Yeah, and I, know exactly I was going to ask you if you had ever done anything at the Coronado Hotel, which is supposed to be haunted. The Hotel Del, yes, I have. Um, well, not like an official investigation. Okay, um, definitely might have rented the the haunted room with like oh. three other friends because that's how we could afford it. Right? No, no, I, absolutely, I get it. Been there, done that. I mean, well, that's a little, it's a hotel town. It's like, it's, it's not a motel fix. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, it is not. It is not. Uh, yeah, so there's, I mean, the Hotel Dell is a very prominent hotel, especially in San Diego and also the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those places that people love going there. Um, the ghost of Kate Morgan is very, uh, <clears throat> is very prominent, and people say that she, she's still seen around the area. Right. And... I didn't really get much in the times that I've been in that room, as well as my friends who have been there. So um, the room is uh, 3327. Um, that's, a, that's a big haunted room if you want to try to get in there. Um, wow. But, yeah, I mean, we've had, we had a few weird things happen, like some noises, uh, shadows, and whatnot. But I'm also a <laughs> skeptical investigator, sure, too. Sure, absolutely. That that's I'm very aware be. when I... I'm very aware when I get wrapped up in the chaos of it all. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, no, the reason um, why I asked you is that, yes, I know the story of Kate Morgan, and this is like, and sometimes in my experience, some of, I'm not saying she that's not the phantom or the ghost, because I, I, I've never really done an investigation, but I think to myself, God, there could be so many candidates for this, considering how long it's been there, and it, that it's a hotel that large. Mm-hmm. How many things could have happened that that you've got, some some uh, ghosts that maybe uh, I don't know I don't not as romantic if you want to think about it because you know her story is kind of romantic mm-hmm. and all this and yeah well, it was built in it was built in 1888 so I mean you know we had post Civil War Victorian era type mm-hmm. of thing you know the West was really you know bustling and becoming a thing so it's one of those things where I think there's a lot there's a lot happening in San Diego too especially in its beginnings. Mm-hmm. And I learned this, you know, when especially, I mean, we've all, growing up, I had the history of San Diego ingrained in my head. So, um, yeah, it's it's very, it's very interesting with um, San Diego's history, especially with San Diego originally starting in what we now know as Old Town. Right, and I was going to say Old Town. Yeah, I've been to Old Town myself. Yeah, um, and then Alonzo Horton was thinking like, um, wait a minute, why do you have this town here when the bay is over there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so Alonzo Horton was the big person to move San Diego to where downtown is today. Um, and he gave great, he actually gave a lot of money to like the first fastest church in San Diego. He actually gave the money to build their, you know, to build their church and such. So okay. he, yeah, he was very prominent in building that area. But we have to remember too we, the, Father Sarah and the Spanish monks weren't the first people to be in San Diego. Right. Um, there was there were Native Americans there mm-hmm. that got massacred. <laughs> right. Again, so, it's the same thing that you've got layers of history of occurrences there. Yep, layers upon layers upon layers. Um, it's in an old town where the where Father Sarah's mission is. It was the location of a really brutal battle between the Kumeyaay people and the and the Spaniards. Really? And uh if you go in that area it's actually very it's 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 uns 
unsettling. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's the word I can say. It's unsettling. So, um, but of course, we also had the Mexican War of Independence. Um, yes. You know, because you know San Diego's like you know throw a stone and you'll hit TJ if you throw far enough. Yes, um, right, exactly. So, so there, and like you met and like you said, there's layers upon layers of history there, and I feel like Sandy in terms of San Diego, there's so many layers at this point that like the energy it's all coming together and it's starting to vibrate a little bit as I like to say did you ever get a chance to go to the Whaley house I mean I know that that's been done <laughs> plus done backwards and forwards and with you know um backwards and forwards and cartwheels yeah. and <laughs> exactly yeah and you did... know the Whaley the Whaley house is interesting to me because it's one of the I believe it is landmarked by the government as a haunted house uh, right exactly Especially, you know, Yankee Jim, the, mm-hmm. you know, the El Campo Santos Cemetery. And I've actually gotten stuff in that cemetery, so it is legit. Okay. Uh, but I feel like in terms of the Whaley House, it's been so oversaturated with paranormal tourism. I felt mm-hmm. it's diluted. It's diluted the actual whoever right. is there. <laughs> right, exactly, because everybody so. thinks of Violet and, you know, the daughter. And yep. I mean, I was there, and it, just, it was so lucky that I took the tour, and I was was one of those times that I was by myself that I was actually able to go to the upstairs and just it was one of those weekdays because I was visiting mm-hmm. where yeah. I, it wasn't thronged, which is great. And I yeah. was able to get around and look at places and just hang out there. And yep. um, it was in the middle of the day. It, I got a couple of pictures, but nothing really significant. I mean, I wasn't really on like something that you could say hours and hours and things like that, but I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But I, I agree with you. If maybe there was at one point, maybe whatever was there is not there anymore. But yet, yeah, it kind, of, it kind of seems a little bit overdone, or the ghost well, got and, fed up with all the tourists and, and people, left. And people automatically think of either Violet or Yankee Jim. And mm-hmm. but that, but that yard, that area was used for public hangings before Mr. Yes, Whaley's exactly. purchased that land. So who's to say it, it was Yankee Jim? And um, of course, there is that rumor that a girl um, died because she ran into a low-hanging clothesline. Right, that yeah, did to the not court, happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there is a legend. I mean, it's a legend, and people keep. I, I get tickled when, if I w- work with certain psychics, they're like, "I sense a girl here, and she, she died from running into a clothesline." I'm like, "I know where you read that, and it's not true." <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you're absolutely right because you know the the story, of course, with Yankee Jim was that they measured the distance the wrong way, and he kind of like strangled to death. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I bet you that there was a load of people that got hanged that that they weren't happy about being hanged. God knows what was yeah. going on with them. And yeah. also, if you had a hangman that didn't tie the noose the right way around the, you know, mm-hmm. along the side of the neck the way it's supposed to that person would still strangle to death versus the snap so you're absolutely right that because it was the gallows was there there's absolutely Mm -hmm. a very good possibility that it was or isn't yankee jim who's walking around it was just i guess because of the story associated with him yep exactly and yeah they they have all that that area and, and you know again it's the history but I imagine places like that, just because when I was there doing the tourist thing, I, could, I was always looking at it through the eyes of an investigator, and I would be thinking, this place would be really, really hard to truly, truly investigate. It's just got... Yes. Yeah, it was like... Oh, there's so much noise. There's so much noise from Old Town in general because yes. it's a bustling it's a bustling district. Well, district. <laughs> um, I use that term loosely. Uh, but, you know, they play, they play music. So that's so loud like they yes. can hear up and down and um yeah <laughs> yeah no that's what i'm saying that the tourism it's great it, it, to have a good time but as far as to ever identify if there truly is any or was anything there very very okay. difficult and uh, now i one of the parts and i don't know if you're well obviously the stingery district uh over in uh what's i guess they call it the gaslight or the gas lamp part gas of, lamp yes the, the gas, gas lamp district um yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, I included, I did write a book about haunted, uh, well, I don't want to say brothels, but wicked ladies. And I did a little mm-hmm. segment on that stingery part. And that was really interesting mm-hmm. before they tried, they tried to clean it out. A lot of things were going on there. So, 
because the 10th Avenue Theater is actually right in the Gaslamp District. Really? So. Yeah, it's not, well, it's not 10th Avenue. It's not a big surprise. Um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, but it's, but it's literally, like, right, um, I don't know if this place was around when you were there, but there's a burger place called Hodad, and mm-hmm. um, it's right down, it's right down, the, it's right down the sidewalk from Hodad. And, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, um, no, the, the, the reason why I say that is that, you know, I, you know, when I was doing my research, you know, and they were talking about how, of course, because it was a port, you know, they mm-hmm. tried to make it like, come on, sailors, come on over. And that um, it <laughs> yeah. was a lot of things went on there in that little district. But like in all these places that they, they called the tenderloin, they would try to keep like the prostitution and all that, those bars in this one little place. Mm-hmm. Until they decided, no, we need to get rid of everything. And that's when they started trying to close it down. Uh, but, and, you know, they had a lot of the opium dens and some of the uh, well, different things going on. But it was win. like, wow. I, when I was there, I didn't realize it. I was thinking, man, I would love to come back. I'm sure a lot of those buildings, a lot of, as a matter of fact, a lot of them were raised. They they cleared them out. That was mm-hmm. how they wanted to get rid of the, uh, the prostitutes to move on, which, of course, they didn't. They came back. But, yeah. Um, I was thinking, man, I would have loved to go into these buildings if they were still, if they dated back from that time, mm-hmm. just to see oh, if anything could be picked up. But also, um, there was a really bustling Chinese population yes, in that yes. area, too. And they were dealing with a lot of racism at the time. Yes. Um, you know, they, I mean, there was an even laws that, that made it illegal to hire Chinese laborers, um, which was really? crazy. So, uh that whole area, um, I mean, and that whole area was just, uh, the scenery district has is, is always been fascinating to me. And the fact that Wyatt Earp owned four saloons yes. in the area. Yes, he did. He did. <laughs> he a lot was, of people don't realize was, that before he moved on with Josie up to uh, the Yukon territory, he was, he was mm-hmm. there. He had, his, uh, he had his hand in everything. That guy was a real entrepreneur besides being a lawman and whatever else he I was. I mean, he was making like $1,000 a night. Yes. Like, that was you big money know back then. that Josie had a bad ham- gambling habit, <laughs> and he would have to go behind her and like, you know, because everybody knew after a while yeah. to come to him with her debts, her gambling debts. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Because she had a really bad gambling habit, and she died like 15 years after he passed away, mm-hmm. and she kind of like died almost in poverty and it was some of his friends that came and took care of the burial because she had she was addicted to gambling up until the time she died yep, yep. goes to show you goes to show you but yeah the um that area it was um some of the things that went on there it was uh, uh i mean as far as uh like one time, it they were saying that because they wanted to get ready that area for something called the Pan American Game, something like that. They were trying to clean up the tenderloin up over in San Francisco and this one. So mm-hmm. what they they did like a pretend like health inspection thing, and then they were they went in there, inspected it, and said, "Well, if it doesn't pass code, you know, you got to fix it or raise it." And it turns out, believe it or not, that a lot of the landlords of a lot of these bars and saloons were prominent citizens yep. of San Diego. And it was like all those hypocrites. <laughs> yes, San Diegan. <laughs> you know, it oh, was man. like, and they were like, Shh, don't, okay, we'll take care of it. Don't worry. Just don't publicize our names. You know that as far as who the owner of that establishment is. So, yep. yeah, I'm sure there's a lot going on there in San Diego. I just wish I had known about this when I was there. Just so you look at it through a different look when you, know more of the history of certain places even though it's i know it went through mm-hmm. a period that it kind of slumped a little bit and then they we did it and it's what it is now that it's really nice um yeah yeah as a matter of fact i stayed at that one i think they closed it down that used to be the ymca um that they converted into like a little hostel well not little i mean it's it was pretty big but I, I think I read that they had closed it down. It was real close to Singery District and not Oh, too... I think I know which one you're talking about. It's almost about. like on the corner. It's really nice. It was, And then I later on I mm-hmm. found out that they were going to reclose it or repurpose it or one of those things. And I was like, what a shame. Because it was, it was really old. I think it was built like in the 1920s as a young man's, you know, for the young men and then the sailors to stay there. And 
things like that. So let me ask something, Alex, when you've been doing, because I ask everybody this, um, have you had any situations where, because it sounds almost like you're sensitive or psychic, um, where you've had experiences without seeking out? I don't feel like I have abilities. Um, I've been told that I'm empathic, but I think that comes from my theater training. Um, Because I've literally studied the human condition, you know, when it comes to being a person and that kind of thing. Um, I found myself sometimes I do get affected by the environment, um, which when that happens is not normally a good thing. I tend to actually shut down and (laughs) kind of stare off into space. I get really negative and... (laughs) Until mm-hmm. I, you know, do some sort of fielding or I say, hey, whoever you are, get out of my space. Um, I work with psychics, though. Um, I respect what they do. I think it's that area of expertise. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, especially when interviewing is dealing with people. Right. Um, but I have seen, I have seen things happen with psychics with a psychic that gives me inclination to believe that there is that there's something there um but i've also gotten really good at figuring out who's not legit yeah sure (laughs) cold reading cold reading's a big thing that i study and um but if i've had i've had a psychic come up to me with information that she would not have been able to find out about me that you know she was very matter of fact like x y and z and i'm like okay you're the real deal Mm -hmm. yeah so, yeah, but then I'll get another person who says, there's an old woman around you. And you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm, I'm 32. It's likely that I have a grandparent that's gone or I have a parent that's gone. So that right. doesn't help exactly. me. Talk about a so. shot in the dark. <laughs> now, let me ask you, that, that book that you wrote, The Haunting of the 10th Avenue Theater, yeah. is that theater, is that in San Diego? Oh, yes, it is. It is in San Diego. Um, it was originally built as a chapel for the First Baptist Church of San Diego, which was right next door. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually the church's, I think, third, second or third building. Um, but a, a church member donated a whole bunch of money to the church to uh, uh, basically build a 24-hour chapel so the sailors would have a place to go to pray, you know, not go to the singery uh Stingery district. Um, right after they left the Stingery, which, <laughs> which didn't actually exist by that time because this opened in like the ninth, ninth, around the mid 1920s. Um, okay, <laughs> go to church, not the brothel. Um, go to church, you know, not to hang out and drink with your buddies. Um, <laughs> so it started out as a chapel, and it also got used for like the youth activities, um, Boy Scout meetings, you know, church meetings, that sort of thing. And um, there's that place has quite a turbulent history. Um, in terms of, like, there's been a few deaths there. Um, granted, I haven't, it hasn't been able to be confirmed through historical research, but at the same time, the church was the biggest Baptist church in the city um, with a lot of connections and prominent members and whatnot. So, and the rumors that we did hear about the deaths that happened did come from actual church members who had been around for a bit. Oh. So... Yeah, so, uh, and it was, they were expressed to the owner as well as myself. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little interesting. We did, I did find a few things in my historical research that inclines that these things did happen. I did have to, I did have to censor their names when I published the book just because Mm -hmm. we were talking like this, like these events happened in the 60s. So they still had family, Mm -hmm. most likely in the area. So, so basically then in oh, the church then moved to another part of the city. Um, they still owned the major church right next door as well as the chapel, but it wasn't until the early 2000s they sold the chapel to a man named Jeff Coda, uh, who owns the building now. Um, and he basically let it sit dormant for a little bit because he, in his words, he got the, he got the building at a really good, for a really good deal. Okay. Um, and I don't know how many ghost, good ghost stories start off with that. You know, I was like, <laughs> I got, I got the place for a really good deal. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a steal. So, yeah, it was a steal. Um, so yeah, and he did start running out the offices and he actually did get 
starting to get complaints about, hey, there's a child running up and down the hall. You know, there's mm-hmm. things happening here. And initially it wasn't from a ghost perspective at all. It was, hey, can you tell the, can you tell the kid to stop running around type of thing when there's okay. not supposed to be a kid there. So, and he decided to convert it into an art center and theater. And it's a great place. It's like four floors of like art centric things. And it's wonderful. Um, but he was starting to get stories from like tech people and, you know, people who had to be in the space late at night to work on lights or sets or props. Yes. Um, and I had actually done a few shows there myself and had some, some experiences where I was like, okay, that's not normal. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, just like getting touched and like watching hands come out from the curtain when there's a wall on the other side. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's that kind of thing where you're like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that falls into the weird category. <laughs> or seeing or seeing somebody watching you from the stage manager's booth when no one is up there and you have, oh. have the key. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, so pretty much it came to a point where I had just graduated from college. I had I forgot my master's. I hadn't had my I had my experiences at the Tenth Avenue Theater and just had like a little info page for the ghosts already. And you know, I was looking for a place for my team for me for my team to like, you know, practice and grow and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I basically said, Hey Jeff, what are your thoughts on me going in there and ghost hunting in the theater? And he loved the idea. And he basically said, yeah, come on, get the key and have fun. <laughs> so okay. for about two years, I had unlimited access oh, to the theater. Oh, that's great. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> no, really, <laughs> absolutely. Starts... People people don't realize that for ghost investigations, having access for that length of time like that, that's really when you really capture interesting evidence. Well, or you not. do. And you, and you build a rapport with whoever mm-hmm. is haunting the space, too. And they actually... They give you some favors sometimes if you have someone from the public there with you. It's like, hey, yes. I got this person here. Can you uh, can you do a little more tonight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah, what was the a relationship with them. Who did, did you make any discoveries or identify who was there? We actually were, we were able to uh, pick up on an, an, another ghost that had been haunting the building that we had originally confused with someone else. Um, oh. It was a former church member who basically had really, to, to not say this disrespectfully, she had really bad OCD to the okay. point where it's, it's keeping her in the afterlife. Like, no joke. Like, it, it drives her nuts that, like, the stalls in the women's bathroom are, like, the latches aren't on, the, aren't, aren't on like, the same side and, mm-hmm. like, the hinges aren't consistent. Oh. And, Yeah. And she's very, very, um, she makes her, it's herself known if she doesn't like what Jeff does with the space. It's really, like. Wow. Isn't that she incredible? Was of, she was one of those church members that was very involved in the church. Her funeral was in the chapel or what's now the theater. Um, so she was beloved, but she was also one of those people with very high maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we found that if we really want to, she literally haunts the men's and the women's bathroom on the second floor um and i actually know it's the fourth floor actually it doesn't really matter because we find she kind of haunts all bathrooms. okay and i'm like carol like we've actually been trying to get her to cross over it's like carol there is a wonderful paradise waiting for you but she's <laughs> but she's thinking but i gotta straighten this out and how did exactly you, was she the one that you thought was somebody else and then you realized yeah. it was her because of that that well, we had picked up, a, well, we, one of our devices picked up a name, and it was one of those things where you pick up a, oh, 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 this mm-hmm. is a person, um, and this was a person, and this person existed, there's the obituary, there's the verification, she was a member of the church, oh my gosh, go. um, and the way that we can get her to talk um, is if we trash the bathroom, <laughs> like, really? put toilet paper. Put toilet paper in the toilet, but don't flush. Oh um, my! God. Wet, wet paper towels on the floor. Um, we'll just do that, and then we'll just let it sit for like thirty minutes. <laughs> oh my! God. That is that is you know that is such a great story because you know what I can see where with an intelligent haunting like this, that personality, it's like I I gotta take care of that quick. <laughs> it's, it's it's like such passive provoking that it's like oh my oh, god, yes. passive provoking, <laughs> but. Especially when you know the weakness. Oh that my gosh! Is something it's, else. It's it's and it's it's amazing when that happens. And but literally every time I'm like, 
Carol crossover. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And And you know what, Alex, this is really interesting that you say that because a lot of people think, well, sometimes when you have these hauntings, it doesn't necessarily mean people go back to their house or, you know, where they lived, in other words. Sometimes it depends. No. It could be their job. It could be in like this where, you know, her her church. This is, mm-hmm. it's not always where you live that you, people go back to haunt. Well, and the church meant so much to exactly. her. I mean, she was, she was that church member like every Monday, the day after the sermon was like, hey, pastor, I liked your sermon, but here's something I noticed this, like this member stuck gum under their chair or hey, the janitor didn't vacuum the back room correctly. Like she cared about that space tremendously. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, she was very invested, it sounds like. Yeah, so it doesn't surprise me, especially when Jeff did all the renovations and converted the space from a church into a theater. I was going to say, do you think that she might have been a little bit outraged that it was being used as a theater? I think so. I think that might have bugged her a bit, because, I mean, from what I understand, I believe she passed around the 70s, and she had been a member for decades. So we're talking Mm -hmm. like she was... We're talking she was a member of the 50s and 60s and, you know, very in a conservative time where, yes, you sure. know, we appreciate we appreciate artists, but they, they go over there. you know. What I mean? Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's like I have to laugh because I'm thinking of that character from Saturday Night Live, the church lady, you yes. know, theater haunted by the church lady, the OCD yep. church lady. That is that is excellent. Yep. But, yeah. And actually, the most most of the hauntings are from, well, I would say out of the four are church members. So, well, one's a pastor, mm-hmm. and another was a member of the youth group, and then we have our church lady. So, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, people. People don't realize how much. I mean, there's people that, as far as their jobs are concerned, it's like it's 5 p.m. or whatever quitting time, and it's like I'm out of here. See ya. And then there's other people like you described, uh, whether it's their church or their job or something, they invest themselves into what's going mm-hmm. on there. In other words, this is the center of their universe and when they pass on and a lot of the times you know that personality well if i can't if i don't do it i know it's not going to get done right yep so even if they've passed on they got to be around to like make sure it gets done right which is what it sounds Mm -hmm. like she's doing (laughs) jeff did fix the hinges and as far as i understand when he fixed the hinges it got like things calmed down a little bit (laughs) (laughs) that's 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 i have to laugh but that that definitely describes an OCD personality to the nth degree. Yeah. Yes, so yeah. much so, yeah. so much so. Uh, well, Alex, I wanted to thank you for spending this time with me today. It has been fantastic to hear your stories. Absolutely great. Um, and like I said, I always believe that, like I said at the beginning, that the intensity and the emotion that goes into what actors do it's inevitable mm-hmm. that just like the church ladies with her church, that you're going to get actors yep. that are tied to where they acted at for whatever reason, yep. whether it was the work or what was going on behind the scenes. Yep. Or I'm even thinking maybe somebody that never does make it as, you know, I want to say maybe not now, but before I think that um, – there was a lot of competition for, well, maybe I'm wrong about that, for leads as, as far as getting ahead and making your, yourself established in that, in that world. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot of drama, but again, I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time. It was fantastic. And I wish you luck and any, do you have any new books planned? Anything new coming out? Um, working on a fiction book right now. So hopefully that'll be coming out within the year. Um, actually got some inspiration for another book about a haunted location, but that's very much the baby stages. Like the idea came two days ago. Um, okay, good. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping to get out someday like an anthology of ghost stories from North Carolina because mm-hmm. I've been getting to know the state very well. And, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, that's um, what it all starts with. That's the seed from which it sprouts is that first idea that starts mm-hmm. bumping around in your head and then it just takes on a life of its own. But that's where it starts again. Well, then good luck with that. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Theater ghosts. God, so many theaters get that reputation of being haunted. I mean, some of them deserve it. Some of them it's just a romanticism, but I wasn't kidding. Think about it. Even now, theater is 
obviously live entertainment, but I guess we're so much of entertainment nowadays is manipulated into perfection. Like I was telling her, if it's a movie, it's a program. In other words, if it's being filmed, it can be edited, it can be cleaned up, it can be fixed. Um, Same thing, well, all the graphics and all the special effects, same thing. But when somebody's doing theater, this is it. This is this is not make believe. Uh, yeah, there's rehearsal and everything, but you're seeing the real thing. And I think that's one of the most fascinating things that there is about theater. Uh, and I think actors in of themselves, their emotional makeup lends itself to producing some hauntings, depending on what's going on. Yeah. I mean, even before vaudeville, I mean, acting has been around for so long. I mean, you think about what she was saying from Elizabethan times that uh, they only had men actors. They didn't have any women. Women weren't allowed to be actors. And of course, it changed along the way. And during the Victorian times, they had uh, had like Sarah Bernhardt, Lily Langtry. I mean, this was apart from because you know, during those times you had opera, which in a way was kind of a theater. It was theater, but obviously it was an opera. And then you got into just what's theater like is in plays. And uh, I think that uh, a lot of people had dreams that never became fulfilled um, or being famous, you know, maybe you were famous for years, but then you're, like happens to sometimes a lot of actors, their star fades and that's it. You know, you're not wanted anymore. Uh, I think just like the recent scandals that have happened in Hollywood, where you had to cater or kowtow to the people in charge if you wanted to get a part, if you wanted to become famous, if you wanted to go ahead and go forward. Uh, I think there's more to it than what you see now or behind the scenes. So absolutely, absolutely. Theaters are rife with phantoms. Some of them residual and some of them not just because of, I think, what's involved in that lifestyle. Absolutely. And maybe I want to bring a show back. I was thinking of doing a show just about theater ghosts as in all these different, because there's certain theaters, as a matter of fact, in most major cities, there's uh, theaters that have a reputation of being really, really haunted. Just because, again, and sometimes there was another one in Chicago where there was a big fire, a bunch of people got trapped, died because they had not opened, they they didn't have the emergency exit. This was, was, what, a hundred years ago, something like that. I mean, there's a lot of things attached to to theaters. And again, anywhere that you go that you've got high emotional content, whether it's from the audience, like she was saying, that electricity, as far as, well, obviously the instruments, but even before there was electrical, you know, when people, theaters were around and there was no electricity, um, still, there was a lot of emotion from the actors, between the actors, from the actors, to the audience in some cases you also had an orchestra there as well uh and i'm even thinking of all these competitions like between these leading ladies and you know the 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 people and you know the chorus girl that maybe wanted to become a leading lady ballet that's another type of theater i mean there's there's a whole melange of so many interesting haunted stories about the theater in its different versions. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for coming back and either seeing the show on YouTube or catching the podcast version on Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podbean. I'm all over the place. Uh, make sure to subscribe so you always get notifications of when I release a new show. If you're a true believer, uh, please go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com so you can submit your true story or something that you heard about. I've received a lot of fantastic stories. I've also got a lot of great guests coming on that I think you are all really going to enjoy hearing the interviews with them, uh, whether they're an investigator and or authors or even witnesses. Like I said, I've got some stories coming up from my true believers. 
So catch me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And again, thank you so much. You are all wonderful. Take care.